0: Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts Noah East and Andy Ferguson.
1: In episode 52, we will discuss the new film from director Michael Showalter entitled The Lovebirds, starring Issa Rae and Kumal Nanjiani. And in our Pick 6 segment, we will celebrate Memorial Day weekend Indiana style by ranking the six best
0: auto racing films of all time leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show in which we chose to honor the recent passing of director Lynn Shelton, Andy doing so by completing her filmography with her debut We Go Way Back, and me with my first Shelton viewing, 2009's Hump Day. So, Andy, are you ready to kick the tires on this thing and and and, and put some gas in it and, and get it all revved up? Yeah, and
1: yeah. let's get out of the pit. <laughs>
0: We will begin this week with a new film that Netflix recently bought from Paramount and released this weekend. It's director Michael Showalter's follow up to the critical success, The Big Sick, and it stars that film's lead, Kumail Nanjiani, as well as the star of TV's Insecure, Issa Rae. Let's discuss The Lovebirds. The
1: Lovebirds.
0: okay so the lovebirds uh that's netflix's big film of the week um i've seen it everywhere as i've been streaming this memorial day weekend uh even leading up to and after i watched it so i've been inundated with ads for it have you
1: uh i haven't really paid attention but i do remember seeing trailers for it in the theater when the theaters were still a thing um there was i think the last two movies i saw way back in early march i saw a trailer for this so it's been on the radar for sure
0: And then when it looked like, you know, obviously theaters weren't coming back anytime soon, Paramount had to unload it somehow, and Netflix has deep pockets, so they scooped it up. Um, They haven't released how much money they bought it from them for, but um, I'm assuming it was a decent amount of money um, because the thing had like a $19 million budget or something along those lines.
1: Well, you know, I think they thought that, you know what, Showalter and Nanjiani, their last pairing was a huge success. And then Issa Rae has been her star has been building for the last couple of years. And then most recently with uh, her performance in The Photograph, uh, I think that that garnered a little bit of notice, too. And it's just a, a quite honestly, an interesting pairing. You know, you don't see this kind of pairing often, even in 2020. So I could see why they took a gamble on it. For sure. Yeah,
0: so so the premise here is that Camille Nanjiani and uh, Issa Rae are a couple. And they've been a couple for four years. And it shows us their meet-cute and their whole, you know, the adorable relationship as it's starting on their first date and whatnot. And then um, it jumps to four years from now where they're just fighting incessantly. Um, and they fight a ton throughout the whole movie. And that's kind of where we get uh, a a kind of a nice little pleasure is the chemistry between Kumail Nanjiani and Issa Rae. Um, While I I believe much of the film um, is really wonky and wobbly in many areas and is kind of a mess, uh, in, in several different places. Uh, the one thing that kind of keeps it grounded the whole time is this really great chemistry by the two of them. They're really funny. Um, and they zing around this dialogue, like at, at, uh, at we're talking Aaron Sorkin levels of, of words per minute. Uh,
1: I thought that, um, you know, uh, uh, my mileage with that lessened as the movie went along. Um, no, and it has nothing to do with their performances. It's really with the fact that a lot of the writing's not very funny to me as the movie goes along. Um, yeah, the very first scene of the movie, which you mentioned a little bit, it, it lets show Walter as a director do his own thing a little bit before the plot really gets going. And they have this maybe five to seven minute sequence uh, early on and then a little bit into their you know, four-year relationship, you get to see them. Uh, interacting uh, and like I said, before the ridiculousness of the, of the absurd story that has been recycled a hundred thousand times before. Um, it, it it really is kind of fun and their performances. There's a lot of like feeling of improv that's going on and they are really funny. Uh, I just think that when the movie starts getting into its typical, you know, one crazy night crime story, a la like, date night or even something like After Hours. There's a little bit of that mixed in. Uh, it, it, it really, I think that Nanjiani and Ray are kind of depressed and hampered by everything else that's going on within the, the mess of this movie a little bit, in my opinion. Uh, I, I can see where you would be won over by them, uh, ultimately, um, and I really wanted to be but there's just too, too much other stuff going on that I just didn't find funny, to be honest.
0: Yeah, th- I mean, this is a really prime example of... of this is a really prime example of um, um, two really likable actors who are very, very funny doing their absolute best with what they're given. Um, it's just that what they're given is kind of shabby. There's a really funny moment uh once every like 15 or 20 minutes but for a comedy that's not really enough honestly for something that is a straight up comedy it's an action comedy but it's still i mean it's not a dramedy by any stretch of the imagination so the the laughs are pretty few and far between um and uh, the writing is just all over the place and by the end of by the end of it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense like and they even sort of address the fact that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense Um, but they don't, don't really do it in clever enough of a way for you to just forgive it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't need this movie to make sense
1: necessarily. I just want to have a good time and and laugh the majority of the way. And I just didn't get that, especially as it was going along. And it sucks because Paul Sparks, who's the main villain in this, I love as an actor, but he doesn't get anything to do with hardly at all. Um, and by the time it gets to that moment where they're in their final like showdown with him uh it kind of just fizzles out to be honest and and it has this whole callback play like line through of uh of the 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 amazing race thing that it it kind of dabbles in at the very end and like just kind of like flicks it on there at the end but it it that even kind of falls flat a little bit. Um, so I don't know. It's a uh, it's only an hour and twenty six minutes, but like you said, if you're only getting a laugh once every fifteen to twenty, that's that's not a good ratio, really. And it sucks for them because I, I honestly, about halfway through, I was like, I feel sorry for them because they're putting all this effort out. You know, like it's <laughs> it's uh you know they're giving everything they have here. Yeah.
0: And the effort is really obvious. Like, like I said, they, I mean, they're really trying hard here.
1: Yeah, I mean, and there's even dialogue, though, that is clearly not funny, and they're trying to sell it as funny. And it's just, there's an Eyes Wide Shut-esque sequence in this movie that's really trying, trying hard to be funny that I didn't find funny at all.
0: And, and what I find strange is that if, if, if I hadn't known it uh, already by watching the credits or knowing about the film ahead of time, I wouldn't have believed that this was directed by Michael Showalter. Um, like, if, if I had just seen it without any credits and then you told me, I'd be like, no, it's not. Because it doesn't, it doesn't, it, A, it's not funny enough, but but also it's just so safe and conventional, a lot of the humor in it is, and it doesn't have that trademark Showalter-like Weirdness or oddness or zaniness. There's none of that here. It's just it feels so sanitized, as far as, as sanitized as a rated rated PG thirteen or rated R film can be. Like it's just it feels so safe, you know. Yeah, it does. Uh,
1: and when you look at the writing credits, there's three different names attached, and none of them are Showalter, and neither is Nongjiani, and. The, what made the big six so great was that it was clearly Nanjiani was invested in the script as well with his wife, um, and probably Showalter had some input in there too, and they all worked really well together. But yeah, it's clearly not a, a passion project on that end. He's, I think they're all just kind of here for the ride, and they probably got a nice little bump in their paychecks, but... Uh, I think it'll, do, it's, do, it's doing well enough. Uh, that should be a positive for everyone involved. Um, I guess that's, that's a good thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's doing well enough. As far as we know, Netflix doesn't ever release its numbers or anything because they're not obligated to, but, but I, it kind of just makes you wonder why they agreed to do it, especially non and, and show Walter, because they're riding high off the big sick and it would have seemed like they could do anything they wanted, whether that was together or separate. and, as far as together projects this is what they chose to do next something just so conventional and safe and 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 for that reason i'm sure it's going to it's going to be somewhat successful but like i can't imagine the critics are eating this up can you
1: yeah i don't know i mean i noticed you know that netflix is doing this thing where it's like the top 10 of the week or whatever yeah have you noticed this this was like number 3 most watched when i was watching it. i so I mean it's got to be you know, at least doing pretty well for them. Um, but yeah, I don't understand why they're doing this next, you know, between this and Stuber, which I didn't see, it didn't look good, but, uh, Nanjiani, I don't, I don't know. He's, he's going the route of the mindless comedy and is not that big of a deal, but they just gotta be funnier than this.
0: Yeah. Ultimately, I didn't hate it by any stretch of the imagination because I thought it was fun enough to um uh especially with the the two leads doing their very very best and being mostly funny or at least entertaining i thought the banter and bickering was impressive if nothing else um it, it just some of the side plots with the actual like mystery the who done it, and them trying to figure things out it just gets really convoluted after a while especially once you get like the the senator's pictures and then the lady with the bacon grease and the and the horse and it's just i, I it just it just all felt i don't know so mindless in a very un and non-Gianni kind of way um, that I couldn't like it too much. I'm somewhere in between like a two and a half and a three. I feel like a three is almost too generous. I think I'm just right down the middle of the road with a two and a half on this because I did, I didn't dislike the time I spent with it. But I mean, by the end of it, I was just like, well, that was a thing.
1: Yeah, I, I ultimately did dislike my time with it because of some of those reasons. Some of, the, some of the things they were kind of lowering themselves to, and for the sake of what? It's not even funny. The, the, the horse, the whole horse bit that lingers throughout not just one sequence, but other sequences is really not funny. And uh, it sucks to see these actors kind of stuck there. Um, I didn't like it at all. I'm at a one and a half on this movie. Oof,
0: man. That's. Uh, you're you're being you're being tough you're a tough judge today and uh, I, that just makes that makes me worried for all these auto racing films that I know <laughs> you weren't thrilled about to begin with so on that note we're gonna take a break but when we come back it's time to put rubber to the road we're ranking the six best auto racing films of all time so stick around and we'll be back in 60 seconds
1: have you ever-
0: Ready for round two. Welcome back to the show. It's Memorial Day weekend, and here in the Hoosier State, that usually means the Indianapolis 500. But with COVID keeping everyone quarantined at a safe distance, the race has been postponed slash canceled. So we decided to keep the spirit alive and rank the six best auto racing films of all time. A tricky genre to mine, but boy, did we mine it. So let's dig in, starting with you as always, Andy, what's number six on your list of the best auto racing films of all time?
1: So we have to say, let's clarify, this is the first list where we actually have opened up documentaries to be on this list, correct?
0: Yes. Yeah. I don't know if it's the first time, but we definitely, uh, we explicitly said yes, because otherwise Herbie Fully Loaded is getting in there. Yeah, otherwise you can't get six.
1: We'll just say that. Um,
0: <laughs> not six decent movies.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, okay, so having said that, uh, number six on my list is not a documentary, but it is a first-time watch for me this week. Uh, it is a film from 1973 called The Last American Hero, and it it stars a 24-year-old Jeff Bridges. Um Ooh. And a, a few other people who I I noticed, Ned Beatty's in here, uh, a 29-year-old Gary Busey, which can you imagine what that looks like? I cannot. He plays the brother of Jeff Bridges. They play uh, Wayne and Elroy Jackson. Uh, they are a family from the South who, with their um, father, are making moonshine illegally. And... Uh, in the midst of all this, Jeff Bridges' this character is doing some uh, rough riding on the roads, and and in an, he's, not a, he, he's getting under the skin of the local police, we'll say that, uh, doing a lot of reckless driving. And uh, their family in general is not liked amongst everyone, basically, especially the police force in the town. And after Bridges' this character runs a cop off the road... Uh, and damn and, and totals his car and injures the officer they decide to bust his father to get back at them for illegally uh distilling moonshine and uh th- this movie is basically about how it's based on a real person's life it's based on some articles written by Tom Wolfe about a character with a very similar name it's junior jackson is the real person's name and and bridges plays as someone named elroy jackson but uh, it is about a kid who, to make enough money for his family and get his dad ultimately, hopefully, out of prison and live a better life for their family, he decides to start stock car racing and then eventually becomes a NASCAR racer and becomes a very successful one, a champion. And then this movie is definitely about racing, but what I appreciated about it is in a very 1970s cinema way, it's almost, uh, more so about the relationships of the characters and the, and the environment and the very specific geographical area they live in, in uni- the United States in the South. Um, and it kind of is almost like a 75, 25, more about that than it is about racing. Um, and ultimately it's, it's, it's intriguing enough. It has a really fun bridges performance, the earliest, Almost the earliest I can think of seeing other than the last picture show. And uh, it's it's fun enough. And the racing sequences are very realistic. There's a rawness to it. So I enjoyed my time with it.
0: That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm going to have to find that someday and check that out because that that does sound like it's right up my alley. Yeah.
1: And it's pretty short. A lot of the films I found on this list were pretty short, to be honest. was so just shocking.
0: And one of the things that you noted was that, you know, it's, it's seventy five twenty it's, it's only 25% about racing. And like some of the best films on, on that I watched over the week f- in preparation for this kind of fit that mold where racing is the backdrop, but really they're telling another story. And my number six is a great example of that. Um, uh, however, it is not gritty and realistic at all and that is um, The Wachowskis' Speed Racer. Oh, man. Wow, okay. Um, this was a first-time watch for me. Um, I was very much looking forward to seeing this film um, because it's kind of achieved cult status uh, in recent years, and I wanted to know what all the buzz was about. Um, I I have to admit, I was let down by it, but still I admired much there's much to admire here um so what what the Wachowskis have done is they take the the this animated classic speed racer and they keep the they keep the spirit uh intact and and you know uh, um what what fans really loved about it to begin with um they wanted to keep all of that intact with crazy colors, wild action, uh, zaniness, silliness, lots of silliness. This the, the, It's shot so strange in green screen and CGI, and it's just like, it is absolutely bonkers all over the place with weird animation coming in and just um, like dastardly villains that are over the top and idealistic good guys that are uh, on the very opposite end of the spectrum. And what you're left with is... I, I don't know, it's it's kind of, it is saccharine and like candy coated and probably will give you tooth decay and gingivitis, but um, there is still a lot of fun to be had here, um, and I just, I couldn't leave it off the list because um, I've got to give credit where credit's due. What they were trying to do, it, it seems, um, they definitely pulled off, and um, they had a very specific vision that you got to take your hat off to it. It's, it is, it is, a marvel to look at. It, it's there's so much going on, and it could have been an absolute mess. And I think ultimately it's not an absolute mess. The performances are way over the top, even from from heavy hitters like Susan Sarandon and John Goodman. Um, I've never been a big Emil Hirsch fan to begin with. He doesn't really change my mind uh, with this. It's more just about the style and the look of the film and how just absolutely push the thing up to 11 and like go for broke. The Wachowskis went on this. And like I said, you got, I, I ultimately, I had to take my hat off to him.
1: Uh, funny story about this movie. I was, uh, working in the IMAX projection booth when this came out. So needless to say, I have had enough of this movie f- since it came out. And, um, looking at this movie every day for hours and hours at a time, uh, I feel like I was going to have a seizure, um and it's really overlong uh i still remember a lot of the details of it and i haven't seen it since it came out up in that fucking booth <laughs> and um i i really grew to over about a month's time hate this movie i see uh, <laughs> um i don't think i could ever go back to it i mean maybe that's unfair to the movie but it might deserve another watch down the road but poof i have horror stories horror like horrifying memories of this movie I can tell. I booth. think it
0: sounds like you have speed racer
1: PTSD. I do. Yeah, it's very specific.
0: Yeah. Well, then let's just move on because I don't want it to trigger you. Let's move on and and okay. let's, let's. what's your number five on your list?
1: Number five on my list is a documentary from 2015 called Steve McQueen, The Man in Le Mans. Um, this, after really, you know, I didn't know. I don't really know a lot about Steve McQueen. I'm not a big, like... Like big fan of like diving into his work. I know I know he's like an iconic movie star that you know is uh, kind of crashed and burned because he was always going. He's, he, he was going as fast as he could go throughout his whole career. And uh, I I did have somewhat of a idea that he loved automobiles because of Bullet and some of the other movies like The Great Escape and uh, he loved all types of automobiles. Um, and I did not know until seeing this movie which actually got a can premiere in 2015. Uh, just how long he tried to get this movie Le Mans made and, uh, and how much of a crazy, crazy ego he had at the time because he was riding high off of a decade-long streak of he was basically the biggest movie star at the time. And he started his own production company and said, I'm making this movie no matter what. And to the point where even the director of that movie had so many different ideas, they wanted to incorporate a a story outside of just the racing. Basically, he just wanted to make a movie about just the mechanics and everything about the racing aspect of that race, the 24 hour Le Mans race. Uh, And so he clashed heads with the director and ultimately, you know, he thought, you know, whatever I say goes. And some, you know, somehow the movie ultimately got made. I've not seen the movie itself But, um, the story of this and the story that connects him to Roman Kolanski, Sharon Tate, Charles Manson, all of that mixed in is wild and, uh, how his, how his like star and his whole career kind of crashed and burned with this movie. And he went along with it and he saw it to the end, the movie got made, but to what cost he ended up being paranoid that Manson, you know, Manson had him on his list and all that. Um, It's, uh, it's, it's an interesting, it's well-made. It's, it's not done in the way that another documentary I watched, uh, is made in kind of a generic way. I watched this film that won't make my list called winning the racing life of Paul Newman. So I didn't know Paul Newman had a big time interest in racing in general, but that, that one was almost, it was made in a way that I'm turned off by documentaries where you get, you know, a bunch of interviews with a pre-made backdrop behind them. Uh, half of the movie is just talking heads. And that one was actually directed by Adam Carolla of all people. Oh, very um, strange. <laughs> right. Anyway, this one, uh, opened my eyes up to a story I really didn't know anything about. So I was really kind of impressed with it. So that's my number five.
0: Well, well, I'm going to continue this, um, trend of us having very different lists, um, and, and, uh, we have a real trend going here because my number five on my list is Disney Pixar's cars.
1: Wow. No one, want, I, I'm, I can't believe you want to talk about a Pixar movie. It's I'm, I'm shocked.
0: Well, uh, well, th- this is definitely very lower tier Pixar. Um, uh, it, it, but the animation is so impressive. That it makes up for some, some, uh, it meanders a lot. Like, there's some, it starts out super, super fun and really great um, with great voice acting by Michael Keaton and Owen Wilson. And, And it starts, once he gets trapped in Radiator Springs and has to start, you know hanging out with this cast of characters while they are adorable um it just it kind of meanders the plot does quite a bit and you're just like all right move to the next you know the next uh, uh act in this you know whole story um but Paul Newman does some really great voice work and um and Owen Wilson is kind of delightful in this uh it, it it's just the saving graces man the animation is just it's crazy. Like it still holds up today. Like if, if, if I saw that animation in a new film, i would be like, wow, this is terrific. Um, uh, sometimes Pixar can be like that where it skates by just on its technical prowess alone. Um, it's just a smidge better than speed racer to say that it's, you know, it's still not blowing my hair back, but, uh, uh, I still like cars. I don't love it, but I like it. It's definitely in the, Bottom third of Pixar's offerings, but, um, it's still better than Ford versus Ferrari. Wow. Is that a spoiler? I'm
1: just saying. Um, so I've, so there's two sequels to this, right? There's, there are three cars movies. Is that right? Yes, I
0: believe there are. I've did not bother watching the other two. I just, just the original. Thank you. I
1: still have never seen any cars movie because, it takes a lot for me to get into an animated movie in general, but then if, like, everything's a car, I'm sorry, I'm kind of out. For, personally, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kind of out. Even I, how much I like Owen Wilson, it's still not going to sell me on it. But uh, maybe one day, who knows, I might be forced at gunpoint be like, okay, we're going to inject you with more Speed Racer PTSD or you have to watch Cars. I'll watch cars at that, at that point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just the first two films on my list, I, I I just, I had to give it to them just because of the look of the film, like how technically impressive they are. And, and thus it's, it's enjoyable to watch them as they are running, um, whether or not like the nuts and bolts and the construction of it past that is necessarily impressive. The, that, that aspect of it is so impressive, that it's it's worth rewarding, so. All right. Uh, okay, now what's number four on your list of the best auto racing films of all time?
1: I know you're making a point that we had wildly different lists so far, but I'm sure we're going to run into some crossover soon. Um, number four for me is Ron Howard's film, Rush, from 2013.
0: That is also my number four. <clears throat> okay,
1: all right. I didn't know, I mean, because this is your first time watched this week, right? It was, yes, just last night. Okay, so I thought... Maybe it'd be a little higher, but who knows? Um, now I know. Uh, so this film is about the 70s rivalry between Englishman James Hunt and Nicky Lauda, the Austrian driver, um, who was a pretty, pretty excellent driver in his own right. Uh, they are played by Chris Hemsworth and Daniel Bruhl. Now that's two pairing, a pairing right there that you're just like, never thought would happen, ever. I mean, I don't know, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that's like a wild pairing to me.
0: Outside of Captain America Civil War, in which Hemsworth plays Thor and Daniel Brühl plays the villain in that film.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know enough about the MCU to even remember that, because there's too many characters going on in those. Well, <laughs> I, I wish <laughs> I <me>. didn't. <laughs> well, I think that the role of James Hunt gives Hemsworth not only a lot better material to work with, but... It gives him a role that's actually suited for him pretty well. Um, I think he pulls it off really well. Um, but the real star of the movie is Daniel Bruhl um, mm-hmm. as Nicky Lauda. He's never been better, in my opinion. Uh, he's quite excellent. Um, but also Ron Howard's pacing and his direction. You know, he finds a good gear every once in a while. He isn't. He is a good director. It's just that he has stretches. And I think that this is one of those moments where he found the right kind of thing to do. And he his style works for this movie pretty well.
0: Well, and he's never been thought of as the type of director that necessarily excels at shooting action or directing action scenes, be they like, like you know, sh- guns and, and bullets action or, you know, racing sequences. But um, the racing sequ- sequences are really well shot in this. They're really compelling. And the way that the story is edited through, like, quasi-montages of race after race after race and kind of keeping your eye on where these two men are in the rankings. Um, I thought that was paced and edited really, really well. Um, and it, it just it, it's a really good-looking film. Um, I still can't stand Chris Hemsworth. I think he's just okay in this. Um, but, but I very much agree with you. Daniel Bruhl is terrific in this. I mean, he has the much more, uh, um, tricky performance, which allows him to be more nuanced and show off a little more. Um, but, uh, this is kind of tailor made for Hemsworth, the, the good looking guy who, you know, um, the, woos all the women and can be very, you know, confident and braggadocious. Um, he's, he, he's fine at it. I just, I have a thing with him. I just can't, I don't know. I just don't buy it. I just don't buy it.
1: Listen, I don't, I don't really like him either, but I do think he's, I do think I like him a little more in this than you, uh, but yeah, this is, he didn't have to stretch very far to play this role, um, but yeah, uh, what this movie really gave us was, you know, it, it, Tarantino did it a little bit for American audiences in, in Glorious Bastards, but this movie really showcases for U.S., the U.S. audience, how really solid of an actor Daniel Brühl is, um, Uh, and it's, it, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty entertaining movie all the way through
0: for sure. Yeah. I definitely had no serious problems with it whatsoever. Right. Yeah. Same. All right. So we're handing out medals now. We are.
1: Yeah. Bronze for me is uh, a movie that was always going to make this list. Um, and, and not just because I don't think there's a lot of quality, on here, but just because it really is quite funny and it still is. And that's Talladega Knight's The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. Um, it's, uh, I just rewatched it again just to verify, even though I didn't really need to, it holds up pretty well. Uh, <laughs> there's a ton of names, like in most Adam McKay movies, a ton of names that run so long on a list, you can hardly remember everyone involved in this movie. Uh, uh, But chief among them, you know, obviously Will Ferrell Ricky Bobby. It's, uh, you know, when you put this alongside Ron Burgundy, it's probably the two great Ferrell characters um, before he kind of, you know, kind of had this downfall lately um, a little bit, but um, it it, kind of gave us, the first collaboration with him and John C. Riley though, that's the special part about the movie, um, which also kind of funny because John C. Riley was in days of thunder and, and then he shows up in this. Um, so that, that collaboration, you know, you don't have to say too much about it. Everyone knows about this movie. It's great. Um, but the, you know, the, the whole kind of the, the little bit of it that, separates itself from most comedies similar to this is the character of Jean Girard, played by Sasha Baron Cohen uh, just I mean, talk about a great kind of counteract to the typical NASCAR fan, you know, the typical you know, uh, hardcore, All right wing hardcore alright, Sunday, time to watch the race, people can you imagine them watching this guy <laughs>
0: Can you imagine you have them, interviews? Can you imagine them rooting for that guy?
1: Exactly, and that's why that character is so genius. I think, yeah, um, pulled off beautifully by Sasha Baron Cohen.
0: Absolutely. Well, it's, but yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, so many other great people. Um, it, it would take too long to name them all. Just a fun movie.
0: It, it's funny that you um, brought up the fact that that uh, John C. Riley is in Days of Thunder because that's my number three. So we both have John C. Riley films at the three spot. Um, and I had forgotten that Riley was in this until, you know, the first five minutes of having it on um, when I did a rewatch. Um, look, uh, this film has not aged very well in the collective mind uh, uh, since it's been out 30 years now. Um it's, it's been reappraised. And I guess I, I noticed that a lot of people are down on it. Um, so I was kind of hesitant going into my rewatch of it. I don't see what all the, what all the fuss is. It's actually pretty damn fun. Um, it's, it's exciting. It's really well shot because Tony Scott knows how to shoot action films like this, you know, so the racing scenes are really compelling. Um, you get the, the Cruz versus Rooker thing, which is kind of a blast and you get really good performances out of them. Um, and, uh, Robert Duvall and, uh, um, Nicole Kidman. Um, I, I mean, there's, there are scenes where when it's just Cruz and Kidman that are really compelling and impressive, uh, there's actually some good performances in here, um, and I just thought, you know, why is everybody dogging on this thing? It's actually I actually might even like it more than Top Gun, although I need to do a Top Gun rewatch. But I just I had a lot of fun with it, and I found that that it was shot really well. It's paced pretty quickly, and you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily hit very many, if any, wrong notes. Um, it's it's extremely of its time. It is a very very 1990 film. Um, but I, I don't think that you should dock it points for that considering, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And it was made at that time. Um, ultimately I had a lot of fun with it. Cruz is, is just, he's, he's a, he's a fucking movie star, man. And this is a movie star performance. Um, even with a name like Cole trickle. Oof. Um, and I just, I find a lot of the NASCAR stuff, um, oddly compelling in in a way that I didn't think I would because I've never been interested in it ever but um I actually had a blast with Days of Thunder it's it's not uh, look Rush is a better film but I think that I feel like Days of Thunder just has a little more staying power and it's a little I don't know. it's it's it gets by on being a little more iconic, and I think that it's iconic for a reason, not just because it happens to be about racing and there aren't very many good films about racing. Um I I like it and I'll defend it.
1: Uh you know how much I like Tom Cruise. Yeah, I get the I feeling like... that
0: you hate this film.
1: <laughs> yeah, it did not hold up for me. I never liked it, but I actually liked it less this time. Um yeah, I don't know, man. I I just think that yeah, he is a pure born movie star and sometimes for me that can help a movie just get by based on that. But there's so many things about this movie that I just don't like. Um I just think the NASCAR stuff in general is kind of makes me feel like I'm watching NASCAR on TV, which I actually hate doing. <laughs> so, yeah. Um uh, it, uh I think a lot of the writing's just not good. The stuff between him and Duvall, I just wasn't really involved with. I don't, I don't know. I, it's, uh, I, I have this problem with a lot of Tony Scott movies. I just do. Um, there aren't a lot of Tony Scott movies where I can just get past the quality of the writing, which is low, I believe, a lot of the times, um, and just shrug it off and be entertained by what he's portraying. Um, I won't lie. Yeah, he, I won't disagree with the fact that he does. He is technically, he's pretty gifted. He knows what he's doing, but a lot of the time, I'm not. I just, yeah, there is that whole part, like, in, like, like the issue with, that I had with the last Boy Scout. There, this movie is very much a product of its time, and there's some things about it that I just, oof. Even with Tom Cruise front and center, I. I can't, I can't do it with this movie.
0: I understand. We, the, we, this was bound to be a, a genre slash list that we were going to, that we were going to have vastly different, uh, uh, stances on things. And I'm not surprised that days of thunder is one of them.
1: One of the few Tom's Cru- Tom Cruise movies we will disagree
0: on. I, yes. I know that there's yeah. definitely something coming that we're both going to agree on. What is number two on your list of the best racing films of all time? There's definitely
1: one, and that is the documentary Senna. That is number two on my list. As um, it is
0: number two on mine as well.
1: Okay. All right. We will have vastly different number ones, absolutely. But, um, yeah, uh, this is a documentary that I just saw recently on the show. I watched it for the show for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember what episode that was. It's been a while now. I know it was last year. It was just a throwback um, that I randomly gave you. Right, yeah. I knew it was coming at some point. You have championed this movie since it came out, what, almost 10 years ago now? Pretty close, yeah. Yeah, so it's, we've talked about it before. It's about the um, Brazilian driver Ayrton Senna, uh, who was a prolific champion in Formula One racing. Um, Prolific, and he still, you know, even with, you know, his life being taken from him at a pretty early age. Uh, this movie, what I appreciated about the most, and I said it before when we talked about it, is just how much actual footage it it uses, taken from the time to tell its story,
0: and nothing um, but that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, it's 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 really kind of remarkable, and you know, it came out in twenty ten, and I think documentaries since then have you know it, it came out in the era where the documentaries were changing in a lot of ways, how they were constructed. Um, they were getting towards that the way they're, they're stretching out documentaries on Netflix now, making them into six and a half hour binges. Um, when it's most of the time it's unnecessary. I think this is so like, everything's packed into this one hour, 45 minute movie. And it gives you everything you need. And the way it does it is thrilling. And even though I don't care about F formula one racing at all, uh, I cared about everything that happened in this film as I was watching it.
0: Yeah, and one of the most interesting things for me with it, uh, especially while watching, watching Rush, was uh, a big aspect of the documentary Senna is Aaronson uh, Senna's uh, uh, rivalry with Nikki Lauda. Um, and uh, so watching, watching uh, uh, Daniel Bruhl play Lauda in Rush and then half of the time thinking about the, the, the way he's portrayed in the documentary Senna. Um, I found that fascinating as well, but yeah, the, the fact that it doesn't have any talking heads, it's just the footage of the time, um, with a really great score. And it's just, it's pieced together and edited in this beautiful way, especially that, you know, they say documentaries like editing is, is the 51% of, of a documentary, basically of the success of a documentary, um, mm-hmm. And this is a great example of that because it's a it's a feat of editing. Um, I, I mean, if I was making a list of the best documentaries of the last 20 years, this would easily make my top 10, probably even my top five.
1: I, I'm a huge fan of this film as well. I'm actually surprised it's not your number one. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I consider it a near perfect film, if, if not a perfect film. So I, I'm very excited to see what's number one
1: on your list. Number one on my list is a film that came out in an era that is still my favorite era of cinema, American cinema, and that is the 1970s. And this is a movie that I saw a long time ago, uh, probably 20 years ago for the first time. And when I was kind of getting curious of the decade of the 70s and kind of dug into the library selection when I was a lot younger and found it, um... And since then, it's been actually added to the Criterion Collection, and that is Monte Hellman's 1971 film, Two Lane Blacktop. Wow. Uh, This film is uh, fascinating. Uh, I think it's the only film on this list I would say is a truly great, great movie, although I do like Senna a lot. Um, This film is uh, really... uh, It's about a... A couple of kind of like just truly like kind of really, really young kind of careless dudes who only really care about cars and repairing cars and building cars who are looking to race anyone and everyone they come in contact with and try to get a rise out of whoever they can get a rise out of. Uh, driving across the U.S. and uh, they are played by, believe it or not, James Taylor and Dennis Wilson, the brother of Brian Wilson, the drummer of the Beach Boys at the time.
0: Wait, uh, James Taylor, the the songwriter, and mm-hmm. the Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson.
1: Yes, that is the main. Are, they are the main stars of this film. Um, really? Yes, uh, they they are played. Um, they play characters named The Driver and The Mechanic. There are no names to anyone in this movie. Um, you don't really get that kind of insight narrative-wise at all, but but you do spend a lot of time with these people. Um, these two guys are kind of like they are directionless. They don't really know where they're going. They don't have an objective, but they just keep driving, and they eventually run into character named GTO <laughs> because he's obsessed with his car. That's played by, uh, Warren Oates, who you remember from Badlands yeah. and bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Some of those movies, uh, stripes, but, uh, they kind of clash and they, but, but, but GTO takes them, takes their offer and decide to, decides to race them across country. And, it's a really slow paced film. Um, it honestly, it reminds me of what if Terrence Malick decided to make a car movie at one point (laughs) early in his career? Like this is, uh, this is what it would kind of be like. Um, It's a, it's a movie that if you're looking for a lot going on, it's going to be very boring, but I found it kind of mysterious and really brilliantly shot. And uh, I've seen it three times now, oddly, but I hadn't seen it in so long. It still really resonated with me. So that is my pick for number one.
0: Wow, I am baffled because um, I've never heard of this. Um, Even when I was researching for this this week, uh, it didn't come up. Um, And so I'm kind of just blown away that I missed this. Um, This is one I definitely need to watch. Yeah, you should. Um, it's, it, it, it doesn't surprise
1: me that it didn't come up in any kind of search. It's not a movie that was successful in any way. But it has developed a cult following, I think. I mean, it's kind of signified by Criterion picking it up at one point. I don't remember when that happened, but it's. it, it might even be on the channel now. You should check it sometime.
0: Well, you weren't kidding when you said that we were going to have very different number ones. Um, look, Senna is a near perfect film. It's a masterpiece of documentary filmmaking. Like I said, it'd probably be my top five documentaries of the last 20 years, but Talladega Nights, the ballad of Ricky Bobby, I think is the best auto racing film of all time because it's one of the funniest films of the last 20 years. Um, uh, I, I would put it in my top five funniest comedies of the last twenty years. Wow, I think that's it's, high praise. Oh yeah, big time. I mean, it's it's one of the funniest films I've ever seen, and its rewatchability factors through the roof. Um, and uh, I think it's just it's a beautiful distillation of what NASCAR and auto racing means. And one of the ways that it does that, and one of the things that I think it's so great about it, is that. It's, it, um, it, it, it's still, you know, w- w- one of those comedy adages is that it's best to be punching up and don't punch down. And I, I feel like it, it's never like mocking in poor taste at NASCAR's fans or that demographic of people that like it. It's never saying like, you dumb hicks or you dirty rednecks. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's, it, it john c Riley and will ferrell are simpletons for lack of a better term in this but like the rest of the people who are either fans or work in the crew like they're not idiots you know and so it's not making fun of the people who like nascar as much as it's making fun of this silly situation and maybe even how much importance we give it but um and I do really, really appreciate that. It's it's got its heart in the right place in an odd way, you know, because it's talking about family and forgiveness and and working together as a team and friendship and um, it, it, and when you get down to it, the, the triumvirate of Will Ferrell, John C. Riley, and Sasha barrett Cohen is, I mean, that's comedy royalty right there and it all coalesced in this film in like a perfect storm where it is impossibly funny. Uh, and even some of the, the, the supporting characters like Gary Cole and Jack McBrayer and, and, uh, um, uh, Jane Lynch. Um,
1: Leslie Bibb's very funny. In this Leslie Bibb
0: is really funny in it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I just, it, it's one of the funniest films I've ever seen. And then you have like hilarious cameos like, uh, Elvis Costello and Mos Def show up at one point for a scene. Uh, I, I, I actually love this movie. I rank it among the top comedies of all time,
1: man. I didn't know you loved it that much. Um, I, obviously I like it a lot too. And it's number three on my list. Um, it's it is a very funny movie, and I do I do agree that it has insane rewatchability for sure.
0: Yeah, and, and I don't want to uh, I don't I don't want to understate the importance of the fact that like again, it's not making fun of the fans of of the sport. It's it's telling it in a really loving way that I you wouldn't expect a studio comedy to do. You know what I mean? It's I, I feel like NASCAR fans and you know Southern folks could still appreciate this film and not not see that they're being um, talked down to or dismissed or or being made fun of. Um, And I think that's kind of important with a film like this, because that would have been really easy to do.
1: Well, obviously, they weren't. no one was really insulted. This movie was a massive success.
0: Yeah, and massive. I think for good reason. Um, I do want to mention uh, one film that didn't make either of our lists but is worth mentioning, and that is the HBO Films documentary um, Dirty Driving, the Thunder Cars of Indiana. <laughs> that is a film that uh, HBO, it's a documentary that HBO did that is set in um, your hometown and my former hometown of of Anderson, Indiana. Um I, I, it's not quality-wise it's it doesn't deserve to be on the list, but it is fascinating and I rewatched it this week uh, oh. in preparation for this. And if anybody is really into racing um and you have a HBO Now or HBO Go uh, subscription watch it. Cause it's super fun. And I just had a good time, like looking at some of the places from Anderson that I've, that I recognize and that I miss, not just the water tower and the speedway, but some of the stops along the way, you know, um, it's just, it is pure Anderson. That's for sure. I mean,
1: it is great that, a, a studio like that, HBO really centered in on that and saw it as a, as a place to tell a story because you know what, as as, as, much as as many negative things as you can say about Anderson, Indiana, it is a, definitely a place that needs to be profiled like that and documented. Um, I haven't rewatched that in a long time. I did not do that this week.
0: Uh, one more that I wanted to bring up really quick. I really wanted to get to this, but I never got around to it. Have you heard of the Jackie Chan film, Thunderbolt?
1: No, but I did watch the Cannonball Run, which Jackie Chan's in.
0: Jackie Chan was in this, he plays a martial arts ass-kicking Formula One race car driver in a film called Thunderbolt wow. that I, I wanted to get to this week, but I just couldn't get around to it. And I have a feeling probably could have bumped Cars or Speed Racer off the list.
1: <laughs> well, I did watch Cannonball Run and it has an insane cast. Um, but this might be the biggest disaster of of the biggest waste of the biggest cast in movie history. It's got... Burt Reynolds, Farrah Fawcett, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr. It's got Jackie Chan, Dom DeLuise. It's got, oh my God, uh, all sorts of other people. Um, More of the Rat Pack um, in it too. Uh, No, no, no. Roger Moore is in this movie randomly. Um, And it is the most unfunny piece
0: of shit movie um, uh, that I watched all week. It's wild. It's wild. So I couldn't find it streaming anywhere because I was going to watch it but I couldn't it wasn't literally was not available anywhere that I looked and then I saw on your letterbox that you hated it and I was like, well why even waste my time
1: <laughs> yeah we disagree enough you never know you never know that's
0: true you don't like days of thunder and I put it at number three so what the fuck do yeah. I know yeah yeah all right well th- this was still more fun than either of us thought it would be i, I- I'm gonna go ahead and Speak for both of us, I suppose.
1: Sure, yeah. It was it was fun to talk, uh, count down those movies, for
0: sure. So um, that brings us to the final segment of the show, and that's the throwback challenge. Last weekend, um, director Lynn Shelton passed away. I believe she was 54?
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: Um, and so you had uh, only one movie left to um, put a cap on and complete uh, her filmography, having... Uh, seen everything else. And I uh, had not seen any Lynn Shelton. So we thought that this was a good time to do another um, double-barreled version of of uh, uh, the Throwback Challenge. And you um, saw her debut film and I saw her most acclaimed film. Um, why don't we go ahead and start with you uh, and tell everybody about uh, Lynn Shelton's debut film.
1: Yeah, Lynn Shelton uh, debuted Uh, Her feature-length film debut was in 2006 with a movie, a very small, low-budget, independent film called We Go Way Back. And uh, this film I have wanted to see for a long time. It's been on my watch list. I was happy to find that it is on Prime right now. So I was able to catch it on Prime. Um, She did write and direct this movie herself, and it stars... Amber Hubert, a name that I have was not familiar with at all. Um, much like everyone else in this movie. Um, she plays a 23 year old uh, woman who is kind of trying to be an actress on the stage. And she's uh, kind of reeling from a long relationship that's dissolved and now, and she's no longer with the person anymore. And she's kind of, kind of just, um, lost, uh, mentally, emotionally, And this movie is kind of a document of a certain period of her time where she's reading, she's opening up a letter at the beginning of this film from her 13-year-old self that she wrote to her 23-year-old self. And you come to find throughout this entire movie that she's, when she was 13, she wrote letters to herself at many, many ages down the road. Um, And she doesn't intend to read any others, but because she's kind of spiraling and because of the uh, the events of this movie that continue to unfold and don't really go the right way for her, uh, she begins to read multiple, multiple letters. And then it plays into a depiction of her 13-year-old self talking to her physically. Um, and so we get to see an actress playing her at 13 as well. Uh, played by Maggie Brown, another actress I'm not familiar with, but who both of these actresses are really, really strong. Um, that being said, uh, the movie does de- kind of balance a lot of the darkness that it sets up with some some humor along the way that's kind of been Lynn Shelton's trademark throughout her her whole career and um, that she did so well. Um, you can see, you know, the kind of her own signature style being put into place already here. Uh, she would go on to excel even more in other movies, but uh, this is a strong debut. I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's very short. It, it, it's about eighty minutes, maybe seventy-nine minutes. It, it uh, but it does, it does cover a lot of ground in, with this character. Uh, it, uh, it it's a really great depiction of the Pacific Northwest, even though I've never really spent a lot of time up there. I'm hoping to soon though. Um, there's a great soundtrack of a lot of artists up there, like Laura Veers. Um, there's a lot of the Decemberists on this and it made me think about back during this time when this movie came out, I listened to the Decemberists a lot. I was a big fan and I don't really listen to them anymore, but it, it was like a nostalgic thing. The soundtrack to this movie, um, so that plays a great part in the whole aesthetic of the movie and uh just the journey of this character um is it makes this movie kind of really touching and uh it 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 is it's a strange time to see it knowing what happened to her i i've always been a big fan and honestly she was very prolific in the last decade outside of just films um she was involved in a lot of television but uh yeah um was really excited to you know, finish my filmography with her with this movie, even though it happened in a kind of a bummer way. Yeah. But uh I'm I'm at a I'm at a three and a half on
0: this film. So um one of the one of the things that I was impressed about um with Hump Day, um is kinda like what you said, it's it's really refreshing how breezy it is. Um this thing's an hour and twenty seven minutes, so um you get in and get out and tell your story i mean it really starts like right out of the gate and so the premise for hump day is um two best friends from college uh one of them um is kind of like a backpacking around europe type you know just l- l- carefree guy um he shows up unexpectedly at his other friend's house who is now married with a wife and a house and a job and all of that the suburban life um he starts crashing at his place they go to a party And drunkenly come up with this crazy idea where their friends have told them about this um, uh, homemade um, porn film festival called Hump Day. Um, It's like amateur pornography film festival. Um, And they get the idea, wouldn't it be great art if we shot a porn together, two straight dudes who've never had gay sex before with anyone... Um, We're going to uh, have sex with each other um, uh, for an art project, basically. And that's the setup... And then everything past that is like, you know, explaining it to his wife. And then, you know, um, they have this tendency to, to try and one up each other constantly. So it's kind of like this started as a dare to see who would be the, the first to back out. And neither of them wants to back out. So that adds a little wrinkle to the plan as well. And so as the film goes along, hijinks ensue. I don't want to ruin the end because it's um, it's a very interesting ending. Um, but, uh, the, the only real actor of like real note in this is Mark Duplass. The others are, you know, um, some semi familiar faces, especially I assume if you're into the mumblecore genre itself and even Lynn Shelton's stuff, um, specifically, but, um, Duplass is pretty terrific in this movie um I, i've never i've never disliked duplass not for a day in my life but i've never been a humongous fan of him i've always liked him fine enough i think kind of the way most of america looks at him you know he's he's good <laughs> you know that kind of that kind of inflection <laughs> but um uh, this is one of the better things i've seen him in um as far as his performance in it um because he is this uh i guess he does play this really typically he does play a, a a man child you know not your average man child but like he's grown up technically but he's 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 still in some sort of arrested of development you know and um and this character is is not particularly any different than that but i think the way that he handles much of the improvised dialogue and um, the way he handles the arc of the character and where it eventually goes, especially the relationship with his wife, which I find more interesting than anything else in the film, actually. More interesting than his relationship with his best friend or the this crazy art project that they've decided they're going to do on, on, a, on a lark. Um, I found the most rewarding part of the film being the relationship with him and his wife and um, just how interesting those two characters were. Um, in fact, I think she's the best part of the film. Um, wow. Uh, but I, I really enjoyed this quite a bit. Uh, definitely enough to, to seek out more Lynn Shelton. I, I wanted to see sort of truth because there was a lot of... Is it sort of truth or sort of trust?
1: Uh, sort of trust, I believe.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to see that when it came out because there were a lot of great reviews. Um, so that'll probably be where I go next. And then after that, I'll probably lean on, um, on the expertise of friends such as you and others as to where to go from there in completing my Lynn Shelton journey. But I'm going to give this three and a half. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, and I loved Mark Duplass in it. And, uh, it was not what I was expecting. So you hear that premise, and you have a certain film in your it, already in your mind. This is not that film, um, and I think that's one of the best things about it is how unpredictable it is and where it goes. You're not expecting, um, and I found found that to be the most rewarding aspect of of the Hump Day Journey. Um, also, it was free on Tubi with just uh, the occasional um, advertisement interruption. Oh, so, perfect yeah i had a I had a pretty nice time with that earlier today.
1: Well, I think that it must be said too, that for a woman to write and direct this kind of story is pretty remarkable
0: that That's what I found most bizarre was I read the premise and then the fact that it was written and directed by a woman. And I was kind of pitching the idea of to my girlfriend a should we watch this together or should i watch this by myself and she was like "Ooh, yeah subject matter wise that doesn't sound like it's anything i'm interested in i was like well it's written directed by a woman and she was like really it doesn't sound like it (laughs) because she's right it doesn't sound like it
1: no it does Uh, not sound like it but when you see where it goes and especially where it ends i think uh it's got a, a really unique viewpoint to it Um, Oh
0: absolutely and it definitely It has the kind of viewpoint that it's That it makes 100% sense that It was directed by a woman
1: I can't let this go without mentioning Because we haven't talked about this movie yet on this podcast And we might not ever again So I think Joshua Leonard Is fantastic in this movie I am a big fan of of his performance In this movie I think he's the best part of the movie
0: So, I'm glad you enjoyed it though Oh, I definitely did. I had a really good time. He is very good in it. I just, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I've met enough guys that look like that and act like that. And it was a little off putting. Um, not that he, that doesn't mean that he's good in it. I just, I didn't enjoy that character as much as I enjoyed others. That's all. All right. Fair enough. Um, so, uh, I suppose that is our show for today. Um, Remember to subscribe to The Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're feeling so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever else you happen to get your podcasts. Send us your suggestions for the throwback challenge to thefilmharmonic at gmail.com. We will be back next week with the debut film from director Andrew Patterson. It's the sci-fi period piece thriller the vast of night from Amazon studios, uh, a debut film. Um, it's from what I can tell, just in looking perusing a little bit, it seems to be g- gaining quite a bit of buzz and, uh, it's from Amazon. So I believe it might be on Amazon prime. So it might be free. Maybe. We'll I see.
1: think it should be. Um, uh, we pay for Amazon
0: prime. So yeah, I hope so. I, yeah. I know very little about it other than it has to do with radio. Um, which I find, Interesting already. And when you put that in with a sci-fi period piece kind of thing, um, I'm pretty interested. So I'm going to make it a point to not read anything more about it so I can go in really, really fresh on it.
1: Yeah, same. I don't want to know too much about it, but I am excited to see it. That'll be fun. Um, So for our pick six segment next next week, we are going to add a little excitement to our otherwise dull lives. We will rank the six best films of director Michael Mann, an action thriller master who love him or hate him. You cannot accuse him of being boring. That is absolutely for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I know, you know, he can be very divisive and, you know, especially among snobbier film folk. Uh, oh, ooh, Michael Mann, he's only made like one or two good movies. Um, you know what? We're going to be the judge of that next week.
1: I can't wait to rewatch uh, Ali, to be,
0: for one. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's there are several that I'm really looking forward to rewatching. Ali and Collateral being chief among them. So I've still never seen Thief, so finally I can watch yeah, Thief. Yeah, that'll be a first-time watch for me as well. And then our throwback film uh, for next week, we'll be digging into the Criterion Channel once again to cross another off of our watch list, director Kelly Reichardt's debut film, River of Grass, from 1994. Um, so, I mean, I think this was around the time that we were supposed to be seeing her new film, First Cow, that's been postponed um, for who knows how long. I don't know when that's going to come out. So in order to, to scratch that Kelly Reichert itch, let's go ahead and, uh, and watch her debut film that neither of us have seen.
1: Yeah, let's let's do it now because in a few days it's going to be gone from the channel.
0: Yeah, and so that's another way, good point, bringing that up. Uh, to encourage those that are listening, um, get on the Criterion channel and you can watch River of Grass along with us. And then when you're listening next week, uh, you can kind of play along with us and shout at us and be like, no, you're wrong. Or, yeah, you're right. I agree with with that. So uh, that's a fun thing. Yeah. And (laughs) damn it, you (laughs) bastards. Don't talk about blue
1: chips on this episode. I did no, it, I did you it did, again. You
0: did it. Oh <laughs> man. Well, while while we're here, Bob Coozy. Can't miss, can he?
1: Hey, we're gonna do a William Friedkin list pretty soon. I guarantee you that.
0: We will eventually. I just didn't want to do Friedkin this week. I chose yeah. man instead of Friedkin, because it was like we've been talking about blue chips and, and bug and the, the 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 French connection and the yeah. exorcist. I mean come on. We gotta we gotta take a break from Friedkin.
1: A year and a half ago I never would have said Hey, 52 episodes from now, the most talked-about director on our show is gonna be Billy Friedkin.
0: <laughs> Billy Friedkin, <laughs> David Gordon Green,
1: and David Adam Kay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> David Fisher. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, well, on that note, we will see you next time on the Film Harmonic.
1: You used to slide down the you stuttered like a koala skull Cause you knew too. Back brace. Substitute.